0: Hello, my name is Jeremiah Schuler, and welcome to the Good Media Podcast. On this podcast, we're talking about an atheist buying a Powerball ticket is unwilling to accept chance that there may be a God.
1: That's from the Babylon Bee.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Michael totally no. <know laughs>
1: hey, I check it almost every day.
0: In <laughs> other news, Mr. Lunt checks into rehab for cheeseburger addiction. Same. <laughs> That's a VeggieTales joke.
1: Anyone know the song?
0: No, Michael, go. I want
1: his cheeseburger, his yummy cheeseburger. Either for you, oh, oh, either for you, oh, oh, his tasty cheeseburger.
2: Okay. (coughs) I thought I knew Michael. (laughs) And then he sang that.
0: Yeah, so my name is Jeremiah Shuler, and this is the Good Media Podcast. On this podcast, I have my brother. Devante. And my
2: other brother. He's not here right now. I know. Not for this episode. Johnny, you're studying physics. How dare he pursue academics. But guess who's popping in on the podcast tonight? We have Michael. Could someone pronounce that last name? (laughs) Bautirsa. There you go. Michael Bautirsa, director of
0: Thrive. Kick Harbor. On keys, we have Chance Busey, the sound guy.
3: There's still knobs. (sighs) I thought we
0: covered this. And (laughs) last but not least, Amanda Padrelli.
3: Yo. (laughs)
4: Hey.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Good Media Podcast. Okay, guys, how's everybody doing?
3: I'm doing pretty well. Um, You know, coming off a big rivalry football game, uh, band director. Uh, we lost, but, you know, it was a really good opportunity to instill some life lessons in the kids and and um, talk about being a gracious loser and, and having, you know, respect for not just the other team in congratulating them, but also having respect for yourself and carrying yourself in a way that's that's both positive and um, reaffirming, I think.
2: Chance, to remember the question I had for you.
3: World, World Series. World Series. Are you watching? Uh, I know the Dodgers are in it.
2: Yeah, Dodgers and, and probably the Red Sox. Red Sox, yes. yeah, yeah. yeah are you Red watching?
3: Sox. Uh, right now.
2: Yeah. Are you gonna be watching? Uh, like
3: this during the oh, yeah, probably. He wants, he wants just, to watch them with
2: you. I want to watch it. I'm trying okay. to find someone who's gonna be watching it because I have no cable and
3: Oh yeah yeah yeah! Come on over.
2: Yeah, okay. come on over. <laughs> just um, I thought you'd be interested. That's why I know the question I, is so important. I I don't like
3: either team. I don't want either team to win. <laughs> I hope I hope they all go twenty-seven innings and they just give up and stop playing. Wow! What
2: yeah. team are you for? Uh,
3: neither. I mean, like, in general, What's your team? Oh, um, unfortunately, it's the Mariners. You know, the team with the longest active professional sports playoff drought in North American sports, including the Browns. Wow. So we suck the most. I'm moving that way. We <laughs> suck.
0: Well, okay, how about you, Michael? How's your day going? <laughs>
1: Mine is good. I know very little about sports, <laughs> and so I have nothing to complain about on that front.
0: But you can tell us uh, VeggieTale songs, <laughs> so and
1: miss Lion. La- I I know a few. Oh,
5: where is my hairbrush?
1: Oh, where is my hairbrush? Oh, where, 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 oh, where? Oh, where, oh, where is my hairbrush?
0: Phil Fisher, we're coming after you. Okay, let's get into like the first article. Tim Keller. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Today we're talking about issues that young adults face. I wanted to just talk about news really quickly first. Are you guys ready? First article, not related necessarily to the topic, but still cool. Tim Keller, Christians are being sucked into society's demonizing mocking of each other.
3: I actually, I totally agree with that. I actually- I haven't read the article. A life lesson. (laughs) I mean- fine. (laughs) You're like, I agree. (laughs) I still agree. We'll read the article. Tim Keller.
5: Wait, can you read it, Amanda?
2: Thanks. Wow. (laughs) He's dyslexic.
5: (laughs) Tim Keller, founding pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, has warned that Christians are letting themselves be sucked into into society's ongoing demonizing and mocking of groups. Quote, we live in a world fragmented in various media bubbles in which you only hear in which you hear only news that confirms what you already believe. Anyone who uses the internet and social media or who even watches most news channels today is being daily encouraged in a dozen ways to become like Jonah with regard to those people over there, end quote. Keller wrote on Twitter Wednesday referring to the biblical figure. Groups demonize and mock other groups. Each region of the country and political party finds reasons to despise the others. Christian believers today are being sucked into this maelstrom. Is that right? Maelstrom? Maelstrom as much as, if not more than, anyone else, he added. The book of Jonah is a shot across the bow. God says, how can we look at anyone, even those with deeply opposing beliefs and practices, with no compassion, he positioned... Uh, Keller links to his new book, The Prodigal Prophet, Jonah and the Mystery of God's Mercy, which he said touches upon the divisions in society by exploring the biblical tale. In further tweets last week, the pastor said that years ago when he was preaching on Jonah, a listener explained his displeasure with him. He did not feel I should have criticized Jonah. Jonah was just being a good patriot, he told me. We should all be patriots," Keller revealed. I answered him that while love of country and your people is a good thing, like any other love, it may become inordinate. If you love for your country's interests, if your love for your country's interests leads you to exploit people, or in this case, to root for an entire class of people to be spiritually lost, then you then you love your nation more than God," he added. That is idolatry by any definition. The best-selling author has been vocal about the importance of Christians resisting the polarization of American society, even as it continues to become more and more fragmented.
3: I still really agree with that. I I took a survey online for uh, the How Is Trump Doing from the Donald J. Trump website. And, um, of course, there were only positive answers to give, either positive or other, not even just neutral, just other and um you know now of course i'm on their email list and literally their first the first sentence after my name it says chance president trump promise y- promises you he will work harder than ever before to stop the democrats why why is that your mission your mission should be to lead the country not to stop the other people and the demonizing I think chance and didn't like that statement of opposite <laughs> parties and the political polarization of this. I mean, you look in a comment section and rarely does it include facts. It just, it's finger pointing and it's awful. And, and I totally agree that we're being sucked into it. It's so easy to scroll through a comment section and be so enraged that you have to just give your opinion or at least tell everybody to calm down. And it's so easy because we have so much access to so many different people to so many different people's opinions and it's easy to get riled and frazzled, and I think we have, especially as Christians, we have this desire to make things right, to make people love each other, by forcing something down each other's throats, and that's not necessarily what we're called to do. But it it's a kind of a knee jerk reaction I feel to a lot of people, and it's it's very easy to get involved. Hmm.
0: I was going through Facebook, and somebody I knew who's in ministry posted. Probably gonna cut this out of the podcast. But somebody in ministry posted that Democrats are only capable of lying and cheating. I thought that was funny. I was like I was like, wow, you just generalized forty million people in America.
3: You just generalized the majority of voters in the last presidential election.
0: Yeah. Mike Pence admits to heavy root beer drinking in high school. Huge Hugh Jackman to host all future Senate hearings in character as PT Burnham. Oh, I get it. Okay. That's funny. Wow, is Johnny's job is hard. He facilitates all of this conversation.
2: Well let's let me <laughs> let me let me let, let me make a news little post. This week, well last weekend, I went to Pure Desire concert and you guys joined me. Well I kinda joined you guys. It wasn't the concert. There was no music. Con- I said concert. Yeah, let's rewind that. should music. <laughs> I went to a Pure Desire concert and it was really good. Um, just like concert again. <laughs> 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 conference. <laughs> Pure Desire conference. Although they had a concert, I'll go to. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, it was pretty good. Um, <laughs> oh, the I know was
0: I was going to say stuff like, you know, purity and all that stuff.
1: Oh, man. Maybe you should just say that whole thing.
2: Yeah. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin has left the crimson scene. So, Jesus, <laughs> A hymn then. Jesus washed it. White. Oh, praise God. Okay. So, this weekend, um, I had the opportunity to go to the Pure Desire Conference. And at that conference, um, I just learned a lot Um I think one of my favorite was definitely all the science behind the brain part of it. Uh, You should explain what the conference is. Yeah. Actually, the conference is... um, How would you explain what the conference is? Why you put it on me like that? Because you were there as well. Okay. Uh, The conference would be,
0: what, a breakdown of how addiction works?
2: Well, sexual addiction, yeah.
0: Sexual addiction, but also, like I would say, emotional addiction because they had uh, testing for love addiction. And sexual addiction, yeah, and how to cope with those things, and how that works within your brain. What's a love addiction?
2: Here we go. I love it. <laughs> no pun intended. Um, <laughs> I love that you have questions about it. I just found I act. I had the same question when I saw. Literally, the that was my first question when I saw a love addiction. I, I'm going to describe it like in my own words, and I'll tell you that they they, they kind of went back. I think it's like an overglorification of love and. To the sense where it can be unhealthy, so too much of anything is unhealthy, and I think even in love, you could over want it to a place of unhealthiness. So, whether so in a place where you will do anything for it just to feel loved, and if and argument was made uh, at the conference that some females and I probably males will will do things to just receive love and comfort from people, and so love addiction is probably will be defined as a uh, someone who seeks out love. I guess in pleasurable ways. That's how you guys have defined it. Um, and that pleasurable way doesn't only have to be sexual, so that's why I didn't use the word sexual there. Because I think we could we could seek out love in over friendships. I haven't like really really like attached to friendships in a sense, or um, be over love in the sense of attached to TV screens. I thought about this today. Um, actually, Jeremiah's girlfriend Riley made a mention of. Um, watching of tv and i'm like wow we can we can soak ourselves into tv because we have this this feeling of wanting to be almost like if we watch a movie we we kind of place ourselves in it we're not as bad as the people or we make yourself make ourselves self-love ourselves in a way make ourselves don't feel bad enough so anyway all i have to say is love and addiction is yeah so,
0: so i guess we should just let's jump right into our big topic problems young adults face okay so last week we didn't have the podcast but you know what we got together and we still hung out to like very late and three in the morning or two in the morning and we wrote down a list of problems on the board (laughs) so problem number one identity
1: before we go any further i just want to Call into question this entire subject. I mean, young adults don't even have any problems.
5: (laughs) Cute.
0: (laughs) It's not mean at all, but it's just funny. Uh, She's like, cute. Okay, it's just kind of funny that. um, All right, let's just walk through because we're PhDs on issues. No, I don't know what I'm saying. We're going to cut all this out. I'm just rambling. (laughs) That was delusion. I was sarcasm.
2: Why are you trying to deceive these people, bro? I'm not trying to deceive these these people. Ph.D.
0: Sarcasm. <laughs> Shh. Problem number one. Identity. I don't know what that it says. Purpose. What do you guys think? Individual person purpose? Sweet. That's just Michael's writing. No, that's, that's a c and Including purpose. Including Identity. purpose. Why did we write this as number one?
5: Because it was the first idea we had.
0: <laughs> what was that chance? I
3: have an idea on where we could take this. Um, I saw a lot of people really trying to find where to fit in. And not not necessarily where the best place to fit in was, but where they could fit in and be what they thought was successful in that group. You know, I, I saw a lot of people uh, going back to your going back to your love addiction explanation, Devante. a very very clear example that popped into my head of a specific sorority that all they did was like talk each other up and just be weirdly affectionate towards each other in a very, I don't want to say egocentric way, but a very separate from actual life kind of way where they would go off and they would like live their own lives kind of off in their own little worlds and totally ignore everybody else, but they would just like draw from the affection of one another. And it, it seemed like a lot of them were just attached at the hip. It could not be separated and just found their identity in one another. A lot of other really prominent examples in, in my college experience was people identifying in their boyfriends or girlfriends, finding identity in other people or in other things outside of themselves, whether it be their sexuality whether it be, you know, their status on the football team or their leadership position in, you know, whatever club. Finding your personal identity is so much bigger than all of those things, especially all of those things individually. Like if you're just clinging on to one thing, I I question where your priorities are and especially trying to find something that, you know, isn't going to fail you. Because if you get hurt and you're on the football team, boom, you're done. If uh, you get bad grades and you get kicked out of a fraternity sorority, boom, there goes your identity as that. If your girlfriend or boyfriend dumps you, boom, there goes your identity as so-and-so's girlfriend or boyfriend. And it's it's. I see a lot of people just setting themselves up for failure because of what they choose to identify with. But I know that my identity as a Christian is solid. It's not going to change.
5: What's your identity in? Christ. What does that look like? That's a
3: great question. <laughs> So so for me, my identity in Christ and trying to live a Christ-centered life uh, means reading scripture every day. It means engaging in fellowship like we are with the podcast right now, engaging with you as the listeners. Send us questions. Challenge us. Ask us questions.
0: Okay. So this is why we as young adults struggle with identity, because God is the one who gives us identity and therefore we will struggle with identity when it is the opposite of the identity that God gives us. So what is the identity that God gives us, right? Let's start in Genesis. So God created man in his own image and the images of God, he created him. These are all ESV, by the way, male and female, he created them. Let's go to 2 Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Jeremiah, my favorite book in the Bible. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. You you And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you... A prophet to the nations. Well, that's just directly to Jeremiah by that point. <laughs> for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a here. Preached the sermon a long time ago. What are three things that God does not know that I know? And those are th- what three attributes that God is not? Yeah, pretty much. So He's not hateful. So therefore, yeah. He does not understand how to hate.
2: God does well. God doesn't know one sin that He doesn't hate. God doesn't know one person that He doesn't love. God doesn't know how to bring you to himself unless through himself.
0: So then we struggle with identity when we don't take the identity that God has given us. Yeah I unless you disagree. if you do
2: disagree, push back. I, mm, I don't disagree. Um, I think with young adults we we're trying to fit into a mold. We look at the culture and we look at our lives we, we're trying to fit our culture and our lives together in this let me okay let me, let me back up and give an example so I can explain myself better. When we look at our society today, Society is trying to dictate what a young adult should look like. Every young adult should go to college, should get a degree. You should party. You should date a lot of people. You so get to, you know, you have to live life. You don't want to life bog you down. How, live freely. Um, and when you're done with that, don't get married quite yet. Get a stable job. Try to get yourself a house. Get yourself a car, a nice car. Make yourself look higher in life. You know, you want to be happy. And so we see that. Don't forget to travel too. Oh, tra- yes, travel. We see that. Take a gap year. You know, it's it's more of like it's it's self-pleasurable um, as a young adult. And then like, and one of the examples I share with you two, it's like one of the things people say is like, oh, live your life, don't get married yet, you know? And it seems like the young adult life is is to be free, is to be going out there and doing these different things. So 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 the society will dictate this to us and of course it's different by culture by culture right so in the bahamas what a young adult should look like might be different from what it looks like in the united states what would it look like different in mexico or in europe but just so let's just use our context as an example um, and we're in the united states so i would say that, that this society will dictate this to us so then we have i think we pose the question um, after society dictates this 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 identity of what we should look like as young adults. so we should ask the question back what does god say we should look, at, look like as young adults so this is what society says we have all these different things now now as a from a biblical view from a biblical worldview my first response was i said let me see what god says that a young adult should look like and so that's my first point and i think is why we struggle with ident- identity because we're trying to balance the world and what god says and so we're trying to fit in you see a lot of people trying to fit in uh with a with a lifestyle that's Kind of hard to fit in with the Christian culture. So we get confused, uh, at least for me, and I'm, I'm talking, this is very subjective. I wouldn't say this is an objective view, but I, this is how I look at it from my lens and what I'm perceiving, is that we try to fit this cult. We, we try to fit what society says we should be, and we're also trying to fit our mold. I'm talking specifically the Christian young adults, trying to fit our mold. Mm-hmm. And so when we when we do that, try to fit this biblical mold and, and, a, and a secular mold together, we kind of get into this confused state. And, and a mindset of trying to do these things again. And it's a struggle. It's a fight. It's a tension. Um, which things should we, give, and we, we live, um, give away and hold fast to? And how, uh, how 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 far to the boundaries, like how close to the boundaries can we ride without going overboard, you know? So,
0: Michael, you look like you have a thought there. Yeah.
1: Well, I was just going to say that when I hear about this subject of identity for young adults, I mean, I would want to step back a little bit and just think not just about, the false identities that our culture is trying to provide us, but also why even the very overall strategy of identity formation in our culture today just really doesn't work. There was a talk that Tim Keller gave to the students at Wheaton College a number of years ago, which you can find on YouTube, and he makes the point in that talk that there are a number of problems with the way that identity formation works today. One of the ways that we think about identity formation is that you just have to look deep inside yourself in order to find who you truly are. and one of the problems with that, there are a couple. One is that, well, w- which which identity do you go with? Because your thoughts and your feelings are constantly changing. They're constantly in flux. And so if you're looking inside yourself to try to find your own identity, it's a bit like throwing an anchor inside the hold of a ship. That, that ship is just going to sway back and forth in the waves instead of having the anchor go to something outside the ship that'll hold it firm in the rock. And on top of the fact that you're constantly shifting around. You're not really quite sure, you know, well, what, what do I really feel about myself? There's some other problems too, and I can't remember what they are, <laughs> but that's at least one of them. And so, and so one of the reasons why, why the gospel is just so different is that it actually provides you something outside yourself. That's not based on how you're feeling on a particular day. Um, it's, it's not based on your performance. You know, if you have an identity that's based on how you feel about X, Y, or Z identity factor, well, what happens if that goes away? You know, so if your identity is, is in the fact that you know, you're know you a popular kid in school and one day you go to a new school and you're not popular. Well, then you you collapse because that was what all of your self-worth was in. Whereas the gospel says that your identity is based on something that Jesus has done for you, which is completely irrelevant to your performance um, and anything else that you might do to, to define who you are.
0: I think one of the really cool things at the foot of the cross, everything is completely level right? And that how God is the one who really pulls us up, gives us that stability, gives us that identity, reminds us that we can all fall short, and he's the one who gives us our value in life, right? And when we have that sort of, when we have our identity in Christ, it it gives you a emotional stability, but it also gives you something that's amazingly powerful to lean on and and to go to for guidance.
1: I remembered another one of the the problems that I remember was brought up in this talk about modern identity formation. Another one is that, you know, you say, oh, I define myself only based on me. So I don't care what the world thinks, I don't care what anyone else thinks. It's only me and, you know, looking deep inside myself. And Keller makes the point that, well that actually is not how it works because No one is a complete island. Society will completely cheer on certain values and it'll completely oppose and and sort of try to put down other values. So he uses the example of an Anglo-Saxon warrior, (laughs) you know, a long time ago. And, you know, let's say that this Anglo-Saxon warrior feels two impulses one after the other. One impulse is to go, you know, plunder a village and go raid and kill and plunder. And the other desire is to, um, you know, same-sex attraction. Well, in his culture, I mean, the grid that he is living in says, oh, it's a good thing to go raid and pillage and plunder, be a man, be a real Viking or real Anglo-Saxon or whatever I said he was. Whereas he would have immediately said, oh, you know, th- those same-sex attraction desires I have, you know, that's, that's not who I really am. But of course, in our world today, it's completely the opposite. You know, if you were to all of a sudden feel this, this you know, deep rage to go off and, and kill someone, you'd say to yourself, that's not who I really am. But then if you had some sort of feelings of, of same-sex attraction, you would say, oh, well, maybe that is who I really am. So what's different? What's different is that we have a different cultural grid that is favoring and disfavoring certain of those, of those things. And so this myth that, well, I'm the one who really defines who I am, is not actually true. Those things are all conditioned and shaped by the culture that you're living in.
0: Dang, that was really good. <laughs>
1: Well, not really my original point, but I think it's a pretty interesting
0: one. But your capability to remember all of that is awesome. (laughs) Cool. Any more thoughts on identity? Because we have seven more of these.
5: That's cute. I'm just gonna. Sorry, it's usually my like thing. I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I need to stop saying that. I'm driving myself crazy. No, I just wanted to pull in. (laughs) I just wanted to pull in some scripture into this when I um, was first like seeking Jesus and figuring out what it looked like to live as a Christian. Shout out to Karen Cedarland. She took me through the book of Ephesians. And in the first chapter of the book of, of Ephesians, it gives you five things that are like who you are in Christ. In verse 3, it says, "Blessed and worthy of praise be the God, be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. We are blessed as his children with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms of Christ. Verse four says, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world so that we would be holy, and blameless in his sight. So we are blessed, we are chosen. Verse five, in love he re- He predestined and lovingly planned for us to be adopted to himself as children through Jesus Christ in accordance with the kind intention and good pleasure of his will. Verse six, to t- to the praise of his glorious grace and favor, which he has so freely bestowed upon us, the Beloved, with a capital B. Uh, verse seven, in him we have redemption through his blood through Jesus' blood the forgiveness and complete pardon of our sin in accordance with the riches of his grace which he lavished on us in all wisdom and understanding so we are blessed we are chosen we're adopted into the family of god we're his beloved and we have redemption we're also just like one with the body of christ in john you can read john chapter 17 there's Jesus, like, says his last prayer to God before he goes and, like, gets crucified. In verse 24 says, Father, I, desi- I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus, like, wants to spend all of eternity with you, and it's a pretty good place to put your identity.
1: You know, just before moving on, I just thought that, you know, it might be worth just taking those those things in those passages that Amanda read and just you know I can think of like a specific instance in my life where those things really kind of hit home for me so when I was in graduate school I was a place where like everyone was way smarter than me (laughs) I mean just like surrounded by these really really intelligent people and man I was like ah, you know I just you know all all the things that I kind of would have put my identity in previously you know like academic performance and good grades you know all that stuff gets turned on its head and I remember, you know, I'd be off by myself, you know, late, late, late at night, and then I'd be, you know, trying to study on this thing or that thing, writing this or that essay. And, you know, on the one hand, there was kind of this, it could have been this feeling of just pretty profound loneliness because, man, you know, here I am, I'm surrounded by all these really smart people that I can't measure up to, and, you know, I don't really feel like I fit here. I'm off all by myself writing essays till the wee hours of the morning. But to actually grab hold of those truths and realize, well who cares what grade I get on this exam and who cares if the guy sitting next to me is, you know, head and shoulders more intelligent than I am. I mean, to know the fact that, that the God of the universe who made me doesn't love me just because of my academic performance or any other kind of performance. He just loves me because he loves me. I mean, that just is this little explosion in your heart that, that kind of keeps you going. It's almost like an engine that, you know, the fire just keeps burning even when everything else is, is kind of stacked up against you. And so you, I just I think about that as a situation where a lot of those truths about who I am, according to God's perception of me, um, just kind of gave me some some steam, some strength to just plug on during some difficult times.
0: I think a lot of us experience the same thing. I, I experienced that with my identity and confidence in a lot of ways. And first of all, I didn't even understand that I had an identity and like the confidence that I had until I lost my confidence. And then I realized that I had this false sense of confidence that I built up to identify with, but also to use to protect myself. And then I didn't really understand what like true confidence was until like God redefined that with for me. And then like it gave me a new sense of confidence. Like a confidence seeks out to be humble when possible. And like the confidence to demonstrate what God is doing in my life because he's my savior, right? He's the one who builds me up. He's the one who makes me brand new. And it's that ability to be vulnerable with each other. And essentially like God has like reshaped my identity in a lot of ways. It went from like this narcissistic little turd who (laughs) just wanted to like, thought he was smarter than everybody. it just be reformed and reshaped to that idea of, no, I'm I'm a person who wants to bend to God's will, who wants to follow him, who wants to be vulnerable and honest with people, even when it's like insanely uncomfortable (laughs) because I fall so short so many times. (laughs)
1: <laughs> that's okay jeremiah we still love you thank you
0: and it's kind of nice like knowing when you, like your friends know about your garbage and they know about like the struggles that you're going through it's comforting okay topic number two shame and guilt because it perfectly <laughs> leads into what I was talking about shame and guilt. I'm just going to start this off with a Bible verse. Romans 3:23 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How amazing that I'm not alone in my shame and, and, and my ability, my constant ability to fall short. Like I'll be like running along I'm like god I'm doing so good and then next thing I know I get like tripped I fall like, in my face.
2: Actually who's this all you talk about?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so Jeremiah, are you saying that you derive comfort from the fact that other people are sinners. Yeah. So you're just trying to pull everyone else down to
4: make, <laughs> to make myself feel
0: better. Feel better. <laughs> Dang it. Yeah. <laughs> it's more like we're all terrible human beings and then God gives us salvation. I like the idea that. how this is going to sound so Misery Calvinist. Company. Yeah. Uh, this is going to sound so Dang. Calvinist, but I love. <laughs> the, no, no, no. I love the idea that any goodness that I could possibly achieve comes through God and not my own ability because my own ability keeps falling short.
1: You're such Uh, a Calvinist. Just admit it.
2: I just don't understand how that works because that's not true. Right. How did that goodness come from God? If you chose your salvation. Anyway, next. So so, uh, (coughs) anyway, um, Human guilt, human guilt. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you preface that though, this is going to sound very Calvinistic because you you put yourself in that hole, bro. <laughs>
0: I'm a little centrist with like a Armenian leaning.
2: Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I I get where you come from when you read that verse. We're all a sinner full fall short the glory of God. I think Romans three as well. No man chooses good. No man chases after God. I I'll push back on Michael too. Uh, I. I I get encouraged to know that we all sin and fall short, but it's not that, that I want to drag everybody down with me because we're already down. So I don't know how far I could drag someone because, man, <laughs> we're all kind of there. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm there, and I, if anybody else has that upper level and had that just a little hint of less bad than I am, then good for them. But I'm not trying to drag anyone down with me, but I, I get comfort in the sense to know that Jesus paid it all. And when I look at how we all sin and fall short, that even someone would look into the midst of that all sin and fall short, people, and said, and say straight up, I'm going to die for that. I was listening to, um, this one is a little touchy for me because uh, Corey Asbury was talking about um, wreck, his song, Reckless Love, and he talked a little bit about, in, in, a, in, a, in a section of his song, he said, to a, a mere person, a mere doubt, leaving 99 to run and chase after the one might be very silly. And then he said, a part of it, he said, You know, God rejoiced with one sinner that repents and 99 that doesn't, you know, he rejoiced with that one sinner that repents. It seems like God looks into my heart and sees how messed up are, uh, that I am and delights in saving that. And so when I look at someone else going through something and they share their sin with me, that's what I think about. That Christ said, I look at, he looks into that and he says, I died for that. So someone opens up to me, share their sin. That's. I think that's my first response. I had to train my mind to do that. I had to actually like because first we want to be judgmental, right? We want to be first. I, I I have a list of things that I list out. What what in my flesh I would like to do when I when someone confess or someone brings something to me. My in my flesh, my first thing, I would like to put myself there and say, "Wow, I'm not as bad as that." The second thing is now I'm judging them. Why did they do that? The third thing is like we we go down in this list in our flesh. We we start to do these things, but I, I'm trying to renew my mind. Like the Bible tells us, into thinking differently. How could I how could I show God's glory in this situation first thought will be well I'm just as bad as that and this I, mean, I put it on this level of grace like Michael kind of preached about that we're all kind of at this in this this plain feel of like we all need grace from Jesus Christ so I put myself in that position the minute someone says something sinful to me or what they have done wrong I put myself there in that same position and then the second thing I do instead of judging them asking why they why why this person do that you know I would I would Understand that sin can cause a person to sin. I mean, there's like Michael said earlier, there's strongholds that sin can can do and cause a person to stumble and fall because we all fall short. And so I, I try to train my mind and to listen instead of putting shame and guilt on a person. And so I I, I battle with that in, in a sense of like I, I pray that I, I'm doing this correctly. I pray that like I don't want to I don't want to immediately cause someone to be feel guilty about their sin. We all the Holy Spirit convicts us all and I think that that's enough. I don't. They don't need this Holy Spirit conviction and the guilt from Devante. I don't. I don't feel like that's. I don't need to put the icing on top of the cake. I think God got this. You know, all good things yeah. uh-huh. mm-hmm. you see that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Armenians. I don't know if you guys think God got it, but. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> uh, but no, I. That's just my little five set about guilt and shame, and just trying to train, train my mind because personally I struggle with my story and sharing my story because I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what people are gonna think. I'm. Uh, I'm afraid of. How people are gonna look at me differently? <laughs> How uh, they're not gonna perceive me as who I am, who I make myself out to be? Because when I tell them the real me, I afraid that they're gonna run. They're gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna feel shame and guilt because of who I am, um, the story I have, and then people are gonna run away from that. And I'm actually, as the more of I, as m- the more I get into Christian community, the more I realize that that's not true. The more I start to dive into to get around believers, the more I see like. Wow! Like God has other people in place to hear Devante's story and to show the grace of Christ. Like I, I, he's been literally pouring that over me for the last three months of my life, starting from probably June in the summer. Um, I've been trying to get more open in my story, and like over and over, God has been proving like in this community. I'm going to show you there's grace, there's love, and there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's so good. I think what's
0: really cool is like the more you share, you you start realizing that God gives you this confidence, right? To share those things, to give freedom to others. Because when you share, you're like, wow, you, you, you struggle with the same things, right? We can build community. We can work together with those things. And then you realize... Then you have, you have pastors who go straight up on stage and are like, these are my problems. Wow. And like, yep. if you want to go against me, what are you going to do? Cause I have God on my side. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, it's not
2: even the same problem. You know, it's just the, the mere fact that there's other Christians to struggle. Blank, right. Blank. You know, it's just like, not everyone's perfect. Exactly. You, you, I, 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 I confess that I had that mindset, you know, like. Christians are these perfect people. They do it right. They do it great. And if they don't, man, they're perfect at faking it. So they're perfect at something. You know, it's just like, <laughs> they're really good at it, man. <laughs> Whatever they're doing. Like, I feel like I wasn't perfect at faking it and I wasn't perfect at all. You know, it's just like, and so I, I had that perception and it's like, I realized that we're all in this this fight. You know, we're, we're fighting sin and, and we're working hard because we, we're, we died with Christ and has been raised with Christ. And the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is also at work in us. And I, and I, I realized that we're in this battle together as believers. Let's share a quick story. Michael, who is here on the podcast today, I remember three weeks ago, three or four weeks ago, I, I was sitting in Panera and I, I opened it up about my story to him, and I could literally see the terror in my face, like I like I could just feel like in my brain racing, like what is Michael gonna th- think of me? I'm gonna be off the leadership team now. I'm gonna just like all these lists of things like running down, like uh, like guilt and shame stuff. Like the, the enemy is just putting this in my head, like this list of things like down down a line well, less that I remember when I shared with you. The same thing. It's just like these same list of things that come down. Okay, he's not going to hang out with me anymore. He's not going to be around this dirty guy. He's going to look at me like dirty, you know. It's just like all these different lists of things come into my, my mind. But the response was totally different from what was in my mind. Hmm. The The immediate response was Christ. You know, Jesus loves you. I don't look at you a different way. Same thing with Michael. I I, I look at you the same. It's just like it wasn't It wasn't a response that I, th- I already had planned in my head. Like I was ready for a comeback. I almost like prepared myself for it. He's like, he might not say it right now, but he's going to text me later. Hey, can we talk? You know. He's going to take me for dinner instead of lunch this time because it's going to be a little more deeper conversation. You know, over dinner, you can't really do it over lunch. <laughs> and so, <laughs> it's just, <laughs> um, um, but it's just like, I don't know. I've just seen a difference in in the act of when it comes to shame and guilt and how the Christian community, at least and I'm a part of right now, has been dealing with that. Um, so I commend that.
5: I love the side of that, that we have been able to experience like that grace. Every time that I have told my story, I've also been terrified that people are going to judge me um, and nothing has come from it, but like people being willing to do the same with me um, and being willing to like have us share our shortfalls together and then run towards Christ together. Um, and I think that that's super relevant, especially when I'm talking about young adults. I think there's a lot of like annoyance with the fact that church has been, like, been stigmatized as this hip, like um, hypocritical place. And the only people that can change that are the people that are in church. And if we are actually living out like the Christ-centered community that we say we want to live out, then that means putting all of our junk on the table and being like, yep, we're all imperfect, but Christ loves us all.
2: I'm going to read a quick um, statistic. I read through <laughs> uh, all my viewers. Don't judge me. Kind of weird. Michael sent me this long, long thing today um about Thrive Ministry. And I read this the statistic thing it has on here. And twenty-six percent of young adults from this from the Thrive mission statement or whatever found church members to be judgmental or hypocritical. Twenty-six percent. That's second on our li- our list from twenty seven percent, that's that which is the highest percentage here, wanted to a break who wanted a break from church.
1: Well wasn't the context of all this reasons why young adults were leaving the church? Exactly. Hmm.
2: Yeah. And I just I think it plays into that guilt and shame part of it. I feel like young adults come in with some struggles and they, they, they grew up and had some struggles and they are, fr- they, are fr- they are afraid that if they say anything about it, they're going to feel judged.
0: You know what's funny? When I first shared like my story with you, Devonte, I had the same feeling that I had when we were on the roller coaster in Idaho about to drop vertically. <laughs> Except I played it cool and I wasn't screaming my head off saying... <laughs> Praying out loud to Jesus, please save me before I fall a splat like a bug on the road. <laughs> like, <laughs> but literally that same sinking feeling in my stomach, like the same thing. That's amazing how sharing my story can be just as scary as going on a roller coaster where I'm literally about to pee my pants. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that rollercoaster. I'm like strapped in. I click in. I suck in my stomach a little bit more so I can get one more click. Like, And then I look over. I'm like, Devonte, this was the worst
2: idea of all time. <laughs> Actually, I have a curveball. You said something or, like, that, that triggered something in my brain. Curveball here. Do, what, do you think that that identity, like sharing our stories and stuff like that, has anything to do with our identity in Christ? So are we not as confident with our identity in Christ will cause us to be afraid to share our stories? What do you guys think about that? Like, well, I sure. think a
0: lot of our identity gets distorted when we let like shame, guilt, anxiety, depression, fear of others take over. Because none of those things are of Christ. And if we're supposed to have an identity that's given us, given to us by God, then we can't have these essentially sins dictate how that shapes our identity. Yeah, I was I was at One Hope, and uh, it was talking about how fear is a sin. And if you're constantly fearing that people will discover your your true identity, then that's a distorted, like, that's a hidden identity. That's a distorted identity. It's not, like, what you're actually portraying to people.
1: Which is so cool to me that the ideal that you know is that you would come to embrace your identity in Christ and your inside would be exactly like your outside. I mean, I just can't tell you how many times I've realized, man, like, my outside is just completely different than my inside. And, I, and recently, I had someone ask me, you know, does anyone actually know the real Michael? And I said, oh, wow. Like, I don't think so. And I realized that that wasn't necessarily, you know, something I'd like set out to achieve. It just, I think it kind of happened because in the, you know, daily comings and goings of life, like, you know, there are just certain parts of myself that, well, I feel comfortable sharing that with someone, but not this other part. Um, I just so look forward to the day in heaven when all guilt, all shame, all sin will be gone yeah. and everyone will be perfectly transparent. Can anyone actually like
0: reach true 100% transparency? Is that possible?
1: It depends know. on how you define transparency. But I mean, if the Garden of Eden was a place where Adam and Eve knew no shame, and if lack of transparency comes from trying to cover up shame, mm-hmm. then if there's no shame, I think there can be transparency.
0: Hmm. He also brings you old school rap. I know. Veggie Tale songs.
2: It's <laughs> a good guy, man.
0: And Babylon B references <laughs> on the dot.
2: Yeah, I I don't know I just was like thinking through that, just like if I'm really grounded in my identity in Christ, why would I care if I share my story? And shame and guilt after you get guilty, you start to feel anxious and depressed. This is our third point. Anxious and um, anx- mm. anxiety and depression.
1: I hear this this is probably the one that I hear talked about most by secular Media, not just stir among Christians.
2: I don't know if anybody ever had like, like super anxiety where like you can't even sleep. um, Just like, you're just like so shivery. I think I don't want a few times in my life. I, <laughs> I'm i very afraid of exams. I get like really like caught up and like, like, man, I got to pass this class because I'm not super bright. So let's get this, let's get this exam done, you know. And so like I get started, I get really like exam anxiety. I don't know if, I, if, I, if I'm depressed. I don't know that. I, I've never been like diagnosed or anything. So I'm not going to make that statement and say I'm depressed. I don't think. I don't think. I hear I hear it a lot. I hear it a lot. Um, Just through friends. Uh, through my fiance. <laughs> Does anybody
0: here actually struggle with anxiety or depression? So I wouldn't really be able to speak to this. I've only experienced like actual true anxiety maybe twice in my whole life. Yeah exams don't trigger anxiety what actually i do before an exam i'll hype myself up i'll listen to some rap and then i'll go in there with the most blind confidence a human being has ever had i i'll i'll go in just like i'm going to fail this test but i'm going going to go in there like i know it all and then it's just a lot more <laughs> better of an experience for
2: me you No, know, we talked about that inside <laughs> <was> reflect that
1: outside
0: <laughs> i literally come in there i'm like i'm like busting down doors I'm like i would kill this test get it back later you fail. like oh okay
1: <laughs> I've got an article pulled up here from The Independent, and it is an article that's describing how it feels to have anxiety from people who actually experience it. And just a couple quotes from here. So, one person explains anxiety as the feeling as if she tripped, and the moment where you don't know if you're going to catch yourself or not is how she felt all day long. Or another example here is that it's. A bit like seeing cop lights in your rearview mirror and you know you did something worthy to get a ticket. And coming down from an attack is like the cop flying past you, heart still racing, kind of shaky, kind of sweaty. And it's all in the back of your head the rest of the day. You think how great it was that you didn't get pulled over this time, but you are painfully aware you might not get this lucky next time.
0: The one time I had like anxiety is my 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 like my muscles hurt and my it seemed like my bones hurt. Like there was an internal pressure built inside of my bones that went all the way up my spine, like into my head. It was intense.
2: <laughs> this is a funny anxiety story. I was going. I was in Idaho as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a camp staff person. And I was driving my Jeep Liberty. And uh, I was showing off because I had people in the car. I did 100 miles per hour. My fender flew off. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of anxiety. And then I spin around. <laughs> and then I send someone. I, this girl who's in the car with all the gangsters. I say, hey, could you go to the car and get the thing. Get the thing out of the middle of the street.
5: Is that anxiety or is that just... Really intense
2: embarrassment. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I hope a cop didn't see that.
5: <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say any like anxiety that I felt has always been in relation with like my fear of what other people have like thought of me or, yeah, that's basically it. Like, I, you, I used to, and still in some situations, like hate talking in front of people because I was just so concerned about if I would mess up, what people would think, or even when I first start, like first go to a new like social gathering, I somehow forget all of my social skills sometimes and just like get really anxious. I've never had like, uh, the closest I've had to an anxiety attack is when I spoke in front of people one time and I was not happy with how I did and I like just like broke down in the bathroom afterwards. But I don't know if that was anxiety or what it was. And depression, I would say there was a part part of my story is where there was a portion of my, there was a summer that I had that I was really lonely and like seeking all of the wrong things to like fill myself. And that, I, I, I would say I was depressed like near the end of that summer when I just felt so alone. I'm like super extroverted and love like being around people and the fact that that like wasn't a thing. Definitely, it's definitely in a dark place. I don't know what, like, the technical definition of depression or like being depressed versus like having depression, like what that is, but
1: I guess wanted to throw out a question really, which is why do we think it is that this is such a problem for young adults today?
0: I think it's a really big problem just because I know a bunch of people who actually have that problem. Um, countless people. I personally don't struggle for that problem. I'm really glad I don't because it's. It, just looks like, just looks like a huge pain, <laughs> and it's just like a constant, nonstop struggle. And I think, uh, and like statistically speaking,
1: uh, we can look it up
0: right now that the, like depression is on the rise.
1: Um, I'm even just wondering too about what some of the causes might be behind it that have made it such a, yeah, such a, a pressing issue for this current generation in particular.
0: Because of social media. I think social media hasn't necessarily created any new problems, but has exposed uh, pre-existing problems in a new way or level.
1: Well, and I would even add to that, that there's been such a breakdown of the family. And I would just be very surprised if that somehow did not contribute to not just the, the phenomenon of anxiety or depression, but all kinds of other things. In fact, when... I was with you guys this last weekend at the Pure Desire Conference. I was speaking with someone who actually had done a good bit of research on, it might have been Pure Desire itself as a program, or it might have just been on the subject of sexual addiction. And one of the things that he found, I think he had done some research in school or graduate school of some some sort. And he said that a big part of, I believe, what had led to just a greater outbreak in things like pornography addiction and so on was breakdown of the family. So that's, you know, I don't have any evidence for that. That's just sort of <laughs> off the cuff, but um, I wonder if that might have something to do with it.
0: It also just—I uh, was just scrolling through like five articles here really quickly. But uh, we sleep less; we're not as healthy. We don't take as well as care of ourselves, and then we're more emotionally vulnerable uh, to certain things because, like, we don't exist in this little tiny bubble anymore. We have access to people who uh, demonstrate, like excess of wealth and a style of, in a, in a lifestyle all geared towards promotional content and like showing the best life humanly possible to leverage that for some sort of like financial gain. I think we just compare ourselves against like this false
1: reality. Well, there are things like isolation and loneliness. I mean, that's related to family breakdown, but that's also just a reality of modern society where people move to cities. Mm-hmm. Like I think of just our own hometown where, so many of the people that I knew who grew up here, went to high school, as soon as they left, they wanted to get off to the big city. And even there though, I mean, despite the fact that there are more people living more closely together, there are just a lot of things that lead to your community, even in a place, in an urban area, kind of being thinner. Um, you're kind of packed like sardines in a place, but it's not as though that means you actually know your neighbors or actually spend time with them. Um, it could be that you're trying to make ends meet because the the cost of living is so high that you're just you know frantically going from job to job, mm-hmm. and so with the rise of loneliness, it would make sense that people would just kind of suffer more from things like depression, which would just be I think the natural result of not having um, you know enough thick social relationships in your life
0: i would also assume that we're less inclined to rely on uh on each other and actually form community so we're more able to be independent in those ways that you're expressing hmm. good examples i don't really have a relationship <laughs> with any of the neighbors who live around me because it's really not necessary i would imagine that if we rewinded time uh communities would have to come together to work together because we don't have the systems set in pl- like if a, there's a down tree in the road for example you have to move that Nowadays, it's just the government who moves it, and it's not an issue. It's, I don't I don't really have reasons to talk to my neighbors necessarily. And I think that probably would have been different a long time ago. Any other thoughts and
1: ideas on this uh, depression and anxiety? I'm cheating here a little bit since I, I'm not sure. It looked like both Amanda and Devontae were looking at something in the Psalms. But it just kind of occurred to me that... The subject of anxiety and depression is all over the Bible in the book of Psalms. I mean, the number of Psalms where David is just like having all these crazy emotional ups and downs. I mean, it's just really encouraging that the Bible has kind of been there already before you, you know. Um, but it also models how it's possible to take those emotions and to give those back to God. And that there's you know kind of a form of catharsis release that can come from doing that.
0: Are you guys ready to move on to topic number four? I feel like we kind of already addressed this, but we could probably go in a little bit deeper. Number four, community.
1: Well, when I started this job working uh, to be involved in a young adult ministry, I was given a magic wand.
5: I almost ca- didn't get one of those.
1: Called the community wand. And all you do is you just, <laughs> you know, magically wave it over a group of people and then they're all best friends and they confess all their sins to each other and they forgive each other and community gets formed.
2: Can I get one of those two, please?
1: Okay. Uh, <laughs> there was a uh, limited production line (laughs) One was ever made
5: (laughs) Um, before we jump into like the topic of this podcast is problems that young adults face and we talk a lot about solutions but like why do we think that young adults don't have good community I think might be a good thing to talk about first
0: I think my number one argument for why young adults don't have community and why one of their main issues would be a lack of community. It's the fact that when you when you kind of talk to people, like you talk about those loneliness, you talk about depression, you talk about how people feel trapped in a lot of ways and that is because of a result of a lack of community. Uh, We also have all these subgroups who are coming up with these community identifiers, right? And a lot of people are clinging on to those and they're looking within themselves to identify with a community in one way or another. Here's a perfect example. I work in advertising and media and the reason why advertising and media is really effective in community is because people identify with a multitude of communities and therefore I can target people on a finite level. I can take an audience of 30 million people and I can narrow it down to 200,000 people based on communities that they identify with and communities that they're involved in.
5: So part of the reason that that works is because I think that we tend to find kind of like a false sense of community in social media. So like what you're talking about, correct me if I'm wrong, is you're using things that people like show that they identify with on social media to be able to narrow them down. When these communities are actually just like something that they liked online or like a group that they're part of and not even necess- like some of them are real communities. Like I have Facebook groups that are with Thrive and it's people that I actually see in person and I like hang out with all the time. But we can also like identify with things. I identified as a Christian on Facebook way before I was actually a
2: Christian on Facebook.
0: It is a false sense of community. It's, But it's also something we all strive to be in at the same time.
2: Amanda, you said I identified as a Christian on Facebook. Before I identified as a Christian on Facebook, Oh, <laughs> really? <laughs>
5: I identified as a Christian on Facebook before I was actually a Christian. Thank you. You guys all just didn't notice that. <laughs> I know nobody
2: noticed that, but I, <laughs> I
5: was like, someone needs have, to tell me. <laughs> I thought it was like, some
2: deep thing, but I like, like, she no. You're like, was wait, thinking. no, yeah.
5: no. Before I was actually a Christian, I had like identified as like that on social media, which wasn't even true at all.
2: Side note: Why? Well, were you always spiritual before you?
5: Mm, I grew up Catholic, but I felt like I wasn't a Catholic because we didn't go to mass. So I was like, I believe in God, Christian. Ah, but I didn't like have a relationship with Jesus or God at all. I just like believed that he was real, and then lived my life however I wanted to. Kind of
2: how I did too. I don't think I went to church too. (laughs)
5: We went to church on Easter.
1: (laughs) Talking about the causes, uh, you know, I remember when uh, I was visiting Europe, and one thing, one of the things that really struck me was that oh, you go to these little medieval villages, you know, they're not medieval anymore, but you know, they go back to that time and you've got what, you know, maybe 300 houses or something. And then in the center of town, you got your church and maybe your market, you know, if you think about this for, you know, literally hundreds of years, Christian society was, you know, a couple hundred people living in the same couple square miles and the church was in the center of town. And, you know, so everyone lived next to each other. They'd go to the market together. They'd go to church together. And that was just what people did, and so, you know, you know, and well, actually, on top of that too, there was a lot more, you know, economic stability. So you know, your family, you know, back ten generations, you know, they were the 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 village blacksmiths, or they were the village, you know, tailors or farmers or whatever. And so there was just tons of stability with the people that you knew, and the job that you had, and the religion that you worshipped. Whereas now, I mean, oh my goodness, you know, we have all kinds of things that are in flux. You know, you can travel. You know, I could hop out a plane within 24 hours, be halfway around the world. You know, there's greater information that we have access to, um, and you know, there's um, you know, obviously, like our, our just kind of on the ground community life, whether that's urban or suburban or rural, just you know, way, 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 way different. And so, in a way, things like social media. I think they're part of the problem. They're also a symptom of the problem in a way. Um, so I, yeah, you know, I do think a lot of the causes are sociological, and when you kind of put that, you, know, you put legs on all of that, and you think about what it looks like to be a young adult today, it means that um, kind of like what we've been saying that you know you can kind of have this impression of having all kinds of you know friends because you have all these Facebook friends, but You know, just because you have a bunch of Facebook friends, just because you Snapchat people, you know, does that really mean you actually know them? Do they actually know you? Do they actually get to, you know, go deep in your life and you're able to actually feel comfortable, like, confessing, man, this is what I'm struggling with. This is who I really am. Well, probably not.
0: So how do we make
1: a worthwhile community? The magic community wand. You're going to have to
2: give that up, Michael. (gasps) Or. (laughs) Or else. (laughs) (laughs)
5: Yeah.
0: Besides the magic community, (laughs) wand,
5: The first thing that we do is pray because Michael and I, like leading a ministry, we can want as much as we want for the people in our ministry to have authentic community with each other. But if they don't want it and they don't have a heart to make it happen, we're just sitting there like, love each other. And everyone's like, no, I'm good. (laughs) And... That's not how it works. We're not the ones to change hearts. We're not the ones to cause the desire to want to be known. We're not the ones to cause the desire to, you know, buck up and tell someone what our story is, even though it feels like we're falling off the a cliff or whatever. We can provide opportunities for that. We can, we can say that we want small groups to be intentional communities and, and encourage our leaders to meet outside of Thrive and lead by example. And I don't know, I would say that's probably where it starts. Like in leadership, the culture is set by those people. So if leaders are willing to be in community with each other and invite others into that community, then that will create community. But if people aren't willing to do it and their hearts aren't in it, then we're just sitting there going, we wish this would happen. Ah."
1: Well, as a ministry thrive gets to kind of be a rare bird in that it is not, doesn't call itself a church. But it has the support and the partnerships with most of the major churches in this town. And that means that um, there is, I think just the capacity for for community because you know instead of just hanging around the you know, the dozen or so young adults that you might have grown up in youth group with, there's the opportunity to meet new people. There's the opportunity to kind of have a, a bigger group that, that you can find relationships in. And it just seems like this is kind of a stage of life where you're kind of looking to build new community and meet new people and, and things like that. So, you know, there are, we're, we're kind of fortunate. There are just a couple of factors that um, are just kind of true of, of the just very nature and structure of what kind of ministry this is that um, has just been very much in our favor.
0: So how you build community? You give it to God and you pray. <laughs> <Yeah. coughs> uh, so I think the, the gospel answers.
1: creates community. Yeah. That... When the truth that you're saved by grace actually seeps in, it allows you to build relationships with people who are very different than you. And I think we've experienced some of that in Thrive. I think, to be honest, it really hasn't been fully tested just because a lot of those who come to Thrive, you know, are, they're not just, they have things in common, not just because they have a common faith, but also because, you know. A lot of them have common backgrounds. You know, we come from the same area. A lot of us come from the same kind of family backgrounds. Not all of us, but, um, you know, much different if you were to, you know, move, thrive to, you know, somewhere in Central Africa, you know, Mm -hmm. where all of a sudden, man, you know, we're having to learn what it means to build community with people who are, you know, speak a different language and and, and, um, come from a different culture. Uh, but I think that, you know, at least theoretically, the gospel makes community because you realize, man, the ground's level at the foot of the cross. Um, I actually have way more in common with this person from a different culture who speaks a different language than I do with my next door white Anglo Saxon neighbor um, because this person from this other culture or the language, they know Jesus, and my neighbor doesn't. Isn't
0: that cool? God's so adaptive. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs>
0: And on that note, earlier today, I promised Michael that we would end at 11.30 and it's 11.29 on my clock. Wow. (laughs) That's true. All right, guys, that's the end of the podcast. (laughs) It's 11.30. We ended on time for once in our lives. Give yourselves a round of applause.